Hello and welcome to the Defined Engagement Bookcast. My name is Doug Fine. I'm happy you're here today. Today we're meeting with a special woman. Her name is Teresa O'Kane and she wrote the book Safari Gemma, a journey of love and adventure from Casablanca to Cape Town. Teresa, I'm a lucky guy to have you on this edition of the Defined Engagement Bookcast. I so look forward to our chat. Thank you for being here. Hello, my friends. This is Doug Fine, and I am the guy behind this bookcast, the Defined Engagement Bookcast. And what I like to do is talk to fascinating people, learn a little bit about them and their books, and share uh, what I'm learning and share what they have to say and like all that stuff behind being an author of interesting books. So that's what this is about. And today I have Teresa O'Kane as the author of Safari Gemma, A Journey of Love and Adventure from Casablanca to Cape Town. And uh, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. I'm going to read uh, your kind of a little bit of your bio from the back of the book, if you don't mind. Sounds uh, good. Teresa writes about travel and adventure from her home in California and around the globe. In Safari Gemma, she and her husband pick up their dream to see Africa top to bottom. She has traveled to all seven continents and to more than 100 countries. Teresa is currently finalizing plan for another expedition to Africa in 2013. You may read more travel stories at teresaokane.blogspot.com and Boots, oh, you're gonna have to say that to me, okay? Oh, you can find the link at the blog spot. Okay. So you don't have to read it. It's that another one. blog, yeah. right? It's about the I, bridge. It's one of my to-do lists is to merge those okay. together. Get on it, will you? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, Safari Gemma is the Indie Book Award winner for Best Memoir. So how cool is that? No one's so more it, here, surprised than me. Here it is, Safari Gemma. And Safari Gemma means what? Good journey. Good journey. So yes. the other thing I want to say about your background and mine is that we grew up together. Like I've yep. been reacquainted with you in the past six months and we grew up together in the same general area uh, of San Jose, California. We ended up going to the same private Catholic school together. You were a year behind me. And I was yep. telling Teresa just earlier before we started rolling the camera, how she was such a happy kid. I just remember her being, you know, overall smiling about life all the time. And uh, that just memory came to me. And, uh, and you say you wake up happy pretty much every morning. So I, 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 yeah. I must, my memory might've been working for a change. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I'm very grateful for it, but it's, <laughs> you know, um, there was a pretty well-known publisher who read it's kind of a long story but that's he, okay uh, we well after um we did this trip mm -hmm. so far um i wrote the book just for scott I had yes. no intention of ever publishing a book and ever. scott is your husband no, no 
I've always loved to write, but I never published anything. So I wrote it, I gave it to him and he, he's a pretty harsh critic, but he loved it. And he said, you should publish this. And I was like, well, well in the meantime, we were doing um, talks at REI about mm -hmm. 10 months overland in Africa. And it was very well received. There was, they were getting, they told us bigger crowds than they'd, they'd ever had. And it, it went very well. And in the audience one day was a man who had just finished writing his book. He and his family took his kids out of school and traveled around the world. And he came up to me after and he said, your story is so incredible. And during the, the talk, I would read from my journal mm -hmm. and much kind of what's in the book. Yeah. And um, he said, I'm, I'm working with um, this publisher, well-known um, publisher. And uh, I think he'd like to meet you. Well, long story short, like I said, never intended of publishing a book at all. It was just for Scott. Well, this publisher calls me. Yeah. And he says, yeah. I heard about you. I'd like to read your manuscript, your story. <laughs> I send it to him. We work together on it. He's incredible. He gives me these. I mean, it was like, I couldn't believe my, I couldn't believe it. And so, and he gave me great suggestions, especially yeah. the chapter about yeah. Ethiopia and stuff like that. And then he said, you know, I'd like to publish this, but this gets to where I'm pretty happy all the time. Okay. That's the point I'm trying to make because he said, I'd like to publish this, but I, I'd like you to make it more. He said, you know, didn't you and Scott ever have some big arguments and didn't some just really bad things happen and, and this and that. And, and I said, yeah, some bad things happened, you know, but we dealt with it and stuff like that. And I said, um, do you mean make it more eat, pray, love, which was quite the book at the time. And he said, exactly. And I said, I'm not, I, I said, I, I, I wake up happy every morning. I told him that. And I said, and he said, well, it's kind of insulting today or, or sort of, um, but he said, you'll never make it in chiclet. Chiclet, as if, as if it was going to be. Never. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I went home and I talked to Scott about it. I'm like, I got this, you know, offer you, you know, well-known publisher, pub travel publisher, publish my, and, but he wants me to change it, you know? And uh, Scott said, would you feel comfortable? And I said, no. So, well, so you got another publisher. I, did, I turned it down. Yeah. I turned it down. Well, good for you because it's definitely not chiclet. I mean, so good hats <laughs> off because this is not a book. Yeah. That, and I don't read chiclet. I don't even know what it would. That's, that's a gum brand, isn't it? Chiclets. But anyway, I, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I uh, there's no, you know, there's no sense of this is a book for women. It's a, it's just a, no. yeah, it's awesome. So most me, of my readers yeah. are men. Oh, most how about of the that? readers are men. How about yeah. that? Well, the women are missing out. That's all I can say. Yeah. Tell me about uh, your traveling companion, your adventure, adventure in life at your side is Scott, your husband. And, yeah. um, and people will pick up in this book that you, you guys, you guys get around, you go places you, and, and you, and you weave that in a little bit. Cause sometimes you'll tell a story 
of an you and Scott in another place, but you're there to make a point about it. So that's lovely. But you guys, uh, you guys are adventurers, and it's not vacation for you. Tell us a little bit about that. What you did to prepare for leaving, and how long were you in Africa again? And how did that work out? Like, how do you? How does someone just like pick up and go to Africa for ten months out of their life? I want to kind of hear. And you do it. Uh, I'm not going to say you do it a lot, but you do. Maybe you do do it a lot. And I want to hear about uh, what you have to say about the decisions you made with Scott to be an adventurer. Well, Doug, that's pretty much the essential question because it started on a blind date. I was 18 years old, <laughs> blind date with Scott. And we, it was a, a dance. And instead of dancing and chatting with the college friends, we went out by the pool at this it was held at a hotel uh -huh. and all we did was talk about traveling the world wow like it's exactly what he wanted to do and it's exactly what i wanted to do and it was unlike any date i'd ever had before any conversation i'd had before it was literally i mean we just sat there for hours talking about all the places we wanted to see in the world and so we we were together after that. I mean, pretty much that was it. And then we got married after a while, just after maybe a year. And we started a business uh -huh. and we realized that is not because we wanted to earn enough money to travel. Yeah. And but we couldn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So we started um, our own sort of construction business and fixing up houses and stuff like that. So every time we'd have a successful project, we would pick out a place from this big box. We, we started a, a, a file, but it, we would just throw travel ideas into it. If we'd read an article, we'd tear it out of the newspaper and throw that in the box. And then we'd pick something and we'd go on a trip. And they, they were long trips. And then when we bought a house, we'd lease our house out and go on the trip. So it was often we started, we realized, I mean, I majored in economics in college. So I realized uh -huh. if you travel longer, it's cheaper. Oh. You know, that airfare is spread out over 12 months instead of, you know, it's expensive to fly to Africa and fly around Africa and stuff like that. So we, and we love, it's a lifestyle. It's not, um, it's, it's part of our life. It's yes. not a trip. Like you mentioned, it's not, um, it's not just one trip. It's and the more you do travel, the more you want to travel, mm -hmm. the more places you want to see. And so often people will say, just my neighbor just yesterday said, you've been everywhere. And it's, it's not like that. It's, it's every time you go somewhere, you meet someone who's talking about somewhere else, Yeah, like Mongolia, have you been there or Iceland or Finland or wherever? So there's lots more travel to do. And yes. uh, yeah, we, so we, we organized our lives very, um, you know, with intention yes. so that yeah. we could do a project and we could, when the project was done, if it was successful, if we sold a house, we could go on a trip, you know, and be real, real, real free. And 
we don't, we're both the same way. We don't buy new cars. We're not real like consumers of much else but travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's very focused, you know, and, um, and we meet a lot of people traveling who fell in love, got married and didn't discuss things like this. And it turns out that like their husband hates to travel. And so we've met oh, yeah. more women in tough places, Africa and parts of Asia and Lao, and they're traveling alone because their husbands, they don't want to travel. So well, it's kind of, yeah. I'm glad. I feel so lucky. Yeah, you that, are. You are. That I, I feel very lucky that, that I have somebody who, you know, wants to do what I want to do. Big time. That's yeah. beautiful. That's a wonderful, that's a wonderful story, just how you got you know, the, the stars aligned that night, right? Hey, um, yeah. do you, did you really, did you ever go like, I, cause I'm getting the gist of the, the, the of the box. <laughs> I get, I'm right. getting the gist but, yeah. of the box. And I just spoke to another author and I just released her, uh, our book cast today. And she, in her own way, had her own box, but it was, it was to the point of, she had projects and things that she wanted to do. It wasn't about travel, but it was about um, things that she had to get accomplished, sort of. So she had to cut back on her work life because she wanted to have more balance in her life. And life isn't all about work. So she made a box and just dipped into it after one after the other over time. And on her list, on in her box was clean the garage, clean the attic, go take a class in writing. You know, kind of, you know, they're, they're very practical things, but so did you ever pick something out of the box and go, no, 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 I'm going to, I'm diving in again. Or was it always just like, we picked this, we're going, this is where we're going. Or did, or was it more well, of a, I don't want to go there now. So it was more of deciding where are we going to start? Because we always buy one way ticket. All right. So if we're going to go to Africa, we buy a one way ticket. And yeah. then from there, we could be coming home via Australia. Gotcha. You know, it just, yeah. it just depends how long we get to be away. Uh-huh. But um, this journey, this yeah. is interesting that you asked that because <clears throat> we, we had finished a project and we, we were kind of in, in a mode of saving money so we could do a really long trip and stuff like that. And we said, finally, let's just go, you know, we finished the project and we'll just, it doesn't have to be, you know, we know how to travel on a budget. Yeah. So, okay, where shall we start? Uh-huh. And that's when yeah. we, this is December, 2004, this journey starts. And we nearly started in Thailand mm-hmm. and, or Sri Lanka. Those were mm-hmm. our two choices. And then this Africa opportunity, (laughs) overland opportunity (laughs) came up. Yeah. But if you remember December 2004, our favorite place in Thailand, Khao Lak, was demolished by the tsunami. Gotcha. So we often thought about that. What if we'd picked Thailand instead of, so it did it. Who knows? You would have been we, there. We, you would have been there. When would have been there. When this we would have been there. Mm. We would have been right there because we were only, gosh, 
two weeks into the, not even. Oh, gotcha. Maybe a week gotcha. and a half. Yeah. So we would have been there instead of in Morocco. Mm-hmm. We were in Morocco. So, um, so but what, what, back go ahead. to your, can I just say something about what you were just talking about, your your author you interviewed about yeah. work is not everything and yeah. having to have a balance yeah. and stuff like that. Well, I used to be a lot more A type personality. Mm-hmm. And when, uh, so while I wanted to see the world, I also, I loved school. I did well in school. Mm-hmm. I had plans to work for, you know, some economist and, and I was at school at Santa Cruz University because I worked for four years and then I went back to school, get my degree. And Scott came home and he said, how about we buy a boat and sail to Hawaii? Yes. Yeah. So long story short, we did that. But the whole time it took 21 days and I'm just like, then we get there and we we're sailing around Hawaii Mm -hmm. and it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And the whole experience is new and fantastic. I was 23, I think at the time. And I was concerned that I'm losing my edge. (laughs) I'm not going to be, you know, no one's going to want me to work for them because I I'm this nomad and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, Scott convinced me, you know, that he showed me how much more there is to life. That's wonderful. I'm interviewing, I'm interviewing an author. He's one of my uh, kind of business thinker, writer, gurus of mine. And his mm. name's Tom Peters. And he used to talk about people's resumes. He goes, he used to say, don't worry about a slice in your revenue that you can't account for because that should keep get them curious instead of looking down on. You could say, I did this while I was not quote unquote working. Uh, the hell with wow. people's judgments about you and your choices you know so anyway uh that's pretty enlightened oh yeah he is he is he's 77 now or something like that but he's still writing books and i get i get him for a half an hour in a couple weeks so that's oh wow that's wonderful he's a he's a guru of mine so i'm gonna try not to gush too long because i know we got things to talk about he and i (laughs) well on that a friend of ours we he said we inspired him so he was he worked his whole life from from college and got a job in the insurance industry and he worked and worked and worked and was with the same company for a long time and we did this trip we backpacked around the world and we inspired him and so he quit uh-huh he quit and he went around the world and he came back and he thanked us and cursed us because it took him so long to for someone to hire him Oh, wow. Now, this wasn't today. This was about 20 years ago. Twenty. It's probably ago, still the same way, I guess, at times, because people, you know, when, when you're buttoned down and you have your own, uh, you know, model of how people should live their lives and how most people making those selections would never do what he did or never do what you did. So they, they automatically think something's wrong with you. Right. <laughs> That's just my Right. Judgment. And so yeah no you got it and then he 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 would think oh I got the job because the interviewer it was so uh he was so interested and he was asking questions about his around the world journey and this and that oh but he he wouldn't get an offer because 
well, maybe you want to disappear again. Ah, uh, yeah, there's that. There's that. There's that in the back of their mind. It's expensive to hire yeah. a new executive. Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. So, so anyway. So Safari Gemma, you guys went, your, your whole plan was to start in Morocco, right? And you got on this group, group, I'm not going to even call it a tour because it's an overland excursion, like big time, is, if there's a word, you got on this big old machine of a large rust, I don't know if it was rusty, but he had the, the driver, you know, he had a lot of work to do on that machine. And, and you guys sat in this thing in this, what kind of, how many people did it hold? Well, vehicle. it could have held 18 people. Wow. There was, I think there was 10 of us. That was part of the problem. And it was a very interesting concept. It could have worked really. Um, we, how did we hear about, I think we heard this, um, I don't know how we heard of it. Scott's really good at finding unique things. Uh huh. Anyway, uh -huh. this Australian mechanic was being interviewed because he was talking about his dream. So he had been an overland truck driver on giving people tours, taking uh -huh. 20 somethings, 30 somethings around Africa. And uh, so he wanted to build a truck and, and, and sort of sell seats yeah. and have, yeah. have it be um, where the participants on, in the expedition, okay. we would decide okay. the, we would decide the itinerary. We decide where to go, when we go everything like together and he would always say as a family <laughs> that oh. should have been our first warning <laughs> and he was the dad oh. right well no he yeah. no that would have probably been helpful um he just wasn't ready and he he'd already signed on um quite a few australians and Brits, British people, and they were anxious to go. You know, mm -hmm. They quit their jobs. They were anxious yeah. to get going, and mm -hmm. he wasn't done with the truck and wasn't done with the truck. So they started actually helping him construct the truck, the truck in England. And we were meeting the group in Africa. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we got there, we just because they pressured him to leave before everything was done. And and he hadn't sold enough seats and he didn't, there really wasn't enough money to to get to South Africa. Yeah, from, from and, Morocco. Um, and that by the, you know, by the way, people, yeah. my, my, our listeners and our viewers, that's the whole potato. They go from top to bottom of Africa, the continent of Africa. And well, that was the plan. That was the plan. Um, but it didn't work out that way because, um, it's interesting because in my first draft of this book, the book I wrote for Scott, the part with this overland truck driver was about a page and a half. Uh-huh. It was, I think it was seven weeks with that him, we were with, with him and the group. That group before the whole the whole trip blew up and everyone left in Ghana. Mm -hmm. So that's on West Africa just a, just a, we just transited a few countries, um, Morocco, Western Sahara, Mauritania, Senegal, Gambia, Mali, and then we were in Ghana. 
And um, anyway, when I, when this publisher said, I want to read your manuscript and he read, he read this page and a half and he said, this sounds interesting. Yes. <laughs> because I want to hear more about this group, this mm -hmm. dynamic mm -hmm. and this mechanic. Oh yeah. And, people, and so that's how, yeah. yeah. And so it's, it, it is a, it's an amusing story. It's, 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 um, yeah, it wasn't the safest thing in the world to do. It turned out, um, because he was quite reckless and, um, uh, it, he was just, he, he was so stressed, you know, yeah. and, um, yeah. it, it could have worked. Um, but he was just so stressed out and, well, I yeah. didn't pick up from the book, and that's my fault, but what I'm hearing today is that the mechanic, and that's what you call him throughout the book, the mechanic. He's a great mechanic. Yeah. He, yeah. he was he a wonderful be. mechanic. Because yeah. he built this thing from the ground up, that vehicle? Well, you know, pretty much. He okay. bought an old lorry, and I, he he bought like a lot of spare parts yeah. because he, he intended on selling those in South Africa to kind of um, make the make the journey economically worthwhile for him. So yeah, so you're so in this. We had to use most of the parts. Yeah, <laughs> for seven I, weeks. That's another yeah. thing. You sometimes you in the book people, and by the way, hold up your book again because we got to <laughs> remind people while we're talking here. This is Safari Gemma. It's Teresa's first book. She wrote it as a love letter and a journal uh, for her husband. It wasn't planned to be, her plan was not to publish it, but it is a journey of love and adventure from Casablanca, Casablanca to Cape Town. So that's, that's what, what we're talking about. It's your first book and you have a couple, you, you have an, you've already published another book for another time in Africa. And I hope we can talk about that after I read it. You're, you're finishing up another book another Africa story and um so anyway I love I love go ahead well this journey is what prompted us finally to buy we bought our own vehicle in Africa that's right so we buy did. this old Land Rover in 2011 and that's a whole nother amazing yeah, really <laughs> journey. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, but be because of this, yes, like the entire time, 11 months, we kept saying we it would be great if we had our own wheels because uh -huh. it's it's hard to get from A to B. After we left the truck, many people that were on the trip, great folks, by the way, yeah. um, we're still friends yeah. with everybody today. Um most a lot of people went home i think two women stayed and they went mm -hmm. to malawi and did dive courses and things like that and we ended up go, transiting over to ethiopia and going down mm -hmm. the, the east coast of africa with backpacks bush taxis and so forth and so on and it's it's tough it's it's not easy getting from a to b well i wanted to backpack. yeah i wanted to bring this up a couple of things that when i was reading the book i go for one there was a part in your book that you talked about going from, I think, a city in Ghana to, uh, you know, what a cruise line would call an excursion. But this was three or four days to get there to go see something. 
and and that just blows my mind you know that yeah africa is so huge that in the in the country oh. of ghana you'd go three days traveling just to get somewhere like like we don't we don't we don't think that way here it's so it's so amazingly yeah. huge is that right is that my takeaway it's just amazingly huge it's not a typical it's not a typical you know you live it's in san jose you gotta go you, you know, gotta go down Europe to la you go to la five hours right yeah or and, you just hop in a plane or you you know they no, you you have to. It taught patience. You must be patient. Um, you getting upset doesn't help anything or anybody. Yeah. So you you just go with the flow. Um, buses break down. The bush taxi's full. It passes you by. You have to wait another three hours or three days. That's a whole so, other literally. story. And bush taxis. Yeah, so, I looked them up on, I looked them, I Googled them. And it's like, this is a, what looks like pretty much a broken down, maybe a five seat <laughs> uh, car yeah. that they throw everything on top of it. And then you take yeah. off. There's nothing about a taxi, uh, our view. Yeah, of I don't taxi. know if people can see this image. They probably this is a typical, can. Typical bush taxi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, this was, they were actually transporting potatoes. And it's primarily and, how you get around. Like you guys got your own vehicle, yeah. but that's how people get yeah. around. You, you, you're you counting on, okay, we'll get a bush taxi from here to there. Yeah. And wow. this this fellow, he was transporting potatoes. And we we said, could we, you know, could we get a ride? Yeah. And we yeah. were on that for, it was all day. And I sat in the center seat. Scott was in the back on top of the potatoes. And I had to hold both of the doors shut across the shoulders of the two Africans. And yeah, it was, it had no reverse gear. It was just, but that's a bush taxi that's and you're bush. grateful for it. You're yeah. grateful. And it's, gosh, the people in Africa and everywhere, I, people are good. I mean, that's where I come from. That's, are, yeah. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I kind of want your, the big picture thing, but I want to touch on a couple of things that if you're willing, maybe to read a part or two from the book. Um, sure. There's that part where I want to, I want, why don't you just riff on animals? How, you know, how you loved being near animals, what you experienced oh. with them. And especially that part, um, it's, it's, uh, it's two, uh, page 207 to 208, and it has to do with elephants and lions. And uh, you say such a beautiful thing at the end about how happy it made, it made you that day to experience that. You, you tracking where I'm talking about? Yes, and I do love animals. I um, have always loved animals. And then when you go to Africa and you're around African am animals, it's a whole nother level. Um, and, you know, I hope that some listeners do end up going to Africa. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we did, because we spent so much time there and we wanted to be around, the animals are wild, but we wanted to be around them safely. So we took a ranger guide course, mm -hmm. um, several, couple of months long course in South Africa, where we learned all about animal behavior. 
elephants, lions, leopard, honey badgers, um, all the things, uh, hippos. Um, they, hippos and Cape Buffalo kill more people than, you know, it's not lions. It's, it's the hippo that they're so territorial. They'll just come and chomp you if you're anywhere in their territory. My gosh. Or the Cape Buffalo. So we wanted to learn all about that. And that's an important thing to do. But just doing that, I appreciate them all the much more. And we're in their territory. And so mm -hmm. you start from respect. And just like anywhere you go, when you travel, you should respect the people and the animals and their culture and their way of life. And that includes the animals. You know, mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah. So, and uh, um this was in 2005 uh, in Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. We, uh, me and another fellow, um, Irish fellow who was, is that, is that, oh gosh, I, I mix up that. Anyway, I had an opportunity to go and walk with lions, mm -hmm. 2005. Mm -hmm. And um, they were young lions, juvenile lions and um and we did that and oh you know i got to hold a baby lion and it was just i mean it was just overcome now what do i say i feel very guilty about that whole experience because you know how you go through life and you you learn more about like everyone's learning about racism right now everyone's mm -hmm. learning about Lots of things right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, not the next trip to Africa, but the next trip to Africa, when I was doing the ranger course, I learned that these sort of walking with lion situations never occurred to me to ask, well, what happens to the lions when they grow up? Well, a lot of these lions get sold to canned uh, hunting operations. Oh, yeah. so they're set up to be shot, basically. They're set up. Mm -hmm. They're not afraid of humans. Oh, oh. So um, mm. I, I'm actually horrified that I did that. But I, I, I'm saying it now because I want to educate people. Yeah. It's not a good idea to um be around wild animals there's the things in the caribbean where you can you know a dolphin will come up and kiss you and things like yeah. this now dolphins don't want to do that they're sort of made to do that so um and riding elephants elephants aren't made to be ridden on you know um, yeah things like that so it's it's not a good idea yeah see that's those. interesting from your perspective now and you're, I, you're, you're you've aged you know so to speak and yeah. you've gone to different I've learned, you've learned more and I now it's like love animals yeah. so much that i don't want to touch them yeah yeah so um would you mind just reading um like uh 207 to basically it's about three it's about two paragraphs tris till um the word the last word is far on on 208 Excuse me. Yeah. And where do, you, where do you want me to start on 207? Uh, the very bot last paragraph. Uh, Scott, Scott was not yet rhino weary. So uh, the uh, he'd gone off to try to find 
um, there was a sighting of a um, black rhino, I think it was, and it's, it was very rare. So he went off to do that. And I, I stayed back in the tent and, um, and I was the lucky one. Okay. Scott was not yet rhino weary. So off he went for more adventure. And I was left alone in the field in the tent contentedly reading. Then the best thing happened. I heard a rumble. I unzipped the tent to find a man and an elephant standing not four feet from me. The man was talking to the elephant in a gentle voice and feeding it some dry mashed grain by hand. I climbed out of the tent and asked how he had met the elephant. He told me it was an orphan as a baby and he had always taken care of it. Would you like to feed her? He said, it's okay, you can touch her. Would I ever? I took a handful of grain and placed it deep inside the elephant's mouth as the man had done. Then I touched her trunk, her ears, her body, and her tail. I even got to touch the bottom of her feet. I got to touch her all over. It was wonderful. I feel bad about it now. Shortly, the elephant began to move away. So I thanked the man and returned to the tent, utterly content and glad I didn't go on another rhino hunt. About an hour later, Scott returned. They never did spot the black rhino. Just before dusk, we were driven to the home of, you want me to keep going? Yes, yes, this last paragraph. Just before dusk, we were driven to the home of a farmer who had raised two orphaned lions since birth. So that does happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, baby lions, they're found, they're orphaned, animals are orphaned. And people, Africans, they just take care of them. Mm -hmm. They were too big to be allowed in the house any longer. So they were housed in a large enclosure in the yard. The owner let us in the enclosure so we could pet them. The lions had just eaten an impala leg or something that looked like it might once have been an impala leg and were now intently watching a pesky warthog that taunted them mercilessly mercilessly from the safety of the other side of the fence. I walked over to the lion and gave him a good rub. He immediately rolled over to have me do his tummy. If I hadn't noticed the sharpness of the lion's claws, I would have been in that Sirabina River meditative state at once again. I was close to it. I got to touch an elephant and a lion all in one day. It was the most blissful day of my life so far. And that was true. It was utter bliss. And this this isn't similar to the other situation I was talking about. Nobody was going to kill this elephant or it wasn't going to be put in a situation where it would be shot by a hunter. And nobody was, this this farmer was going to, take care of these lions right for the rest of their life right um there's there's all sorts of amazing stories about people who have lions there was a man we met who had one arm and you know you gotta ask what happened you know this is africa uh people have been chomped by alligators and they've lost limbs here and there well he had a couple of lions and he had a lion that he'd raised same thing. It was orphaned and he raised it. And one of the, he had two lions and one of his staff somehow put the lion back in the wrong cage. And as he did every night, he went to, you know, pet his lion good night. And it was the wrong lion. He lost his arm. Oh my. Oh my. Yeah. The, there's Even, lots of stories like that. <laughs> you, your little description of you petting the lions, um, it amazes me because we have cats and we have <laughs> we have four cats actually. But there's one that we he's especially lovable. Like he loves to come up to you and he's the only lap cat we have. But 
pretty much, you know, frequently I, he's laying before, as I'm heading off to bed, he's laying on a chair and he just, I'm petting him for the last time of the day. And he kind of rolls over and offers his belly. Yeah. And, but almost every time he'll, he'll, he'll start grabbing, you know, it's like here, here, but I'm going to, so I have to think, man, that would be the fact that you did that, like kind of rub the yeah. that lion, like, man, our cat wouldn't, we wouldn't get away with it with our cat. But no. Somehow, you know, that lion was tame enough or something that just well, didn't want to hurt you. I was very eager. Scott did not even come in the enclosure with me. And he, oh, thought, uh-huh. he was like, oh my God, he was a bit nervous. But um, now we have a cat. Yeah, you can rub her tummy for 30 minutes and she loves it. Yeah. Um, But um, by then, I mean, I, I, I can kind of read the signs of an animal. Mm -hmm. Um, Now today I I wouldn't even do it. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even do it. It's just that you've just changed. You've just, you have a totally, and who would have thunk, you know, that you would be at that point in your life and in your adventures that you've you've just like i don't know what i don't know what it is what what's the word you use when you just are more more aware of the reality well the 20 somethings call it being woke you know so you learn yeah yeah you learn and you Mm -hmm. you um i so now i choose to observe Mm -hmm. my favorite Mm -hmm. thing is to sit at a water hole I could sit there for hours and Mm -hmm. just observe the animals Uh and take photos and that's that's enough that's good enough it's yeah. it's totally enough nice. so nice and i love tracking so sometimes um we can track for hours and we'll be tracking a rhino or a lion and we'll never find them yeah and i i'm just as satisfied like it's just so cool to follow their tracks and see oh what they did here and here they took a little dirt bath and here they stopped and got some water and it's i don't know i love it <laughs> and you learned how to track at your school huh in the course yeah. we yeah. learned so, and that is wonderful cuz we get to a campsite and immediately the first thing we do is scott and i always look situation situational awareness yes check our surroundings and then look and see what's been there you know it's always janet they're always there little small cat like animal um and you know impala and whatever and sometimes often hyena and things like that so we know what they are Uh uh-huh and and baboon which is are not great to have around when you're camping but what do they want to bother you sometimes yeah are they loud to keep you up at night or something no they could they could be they could be aggressive you know so they're yeah you're in there yeah you're in there you you're they're huge you know and they have okay yeah quite large fangs and yeah so yeah and they're used to people what would be one story from the book that you want to convey if it's a story or if it's just an overall um the zeitgeist of that book for you and what you were what were you you know uh, well what do you want to say about you know we're going to kind of come to an end here because i don't want to keep you all day but what would you what would you how would you synthesize you know your experience and i i love how you put that africa you have a it's almost like um love hate not hate but it's so it's so um 
it's diverse in in the extremes like there's yeah. extreme beauty and then you see uh humanity in some sort of extreme of poverty mm -hmm. and and that kind of thing so it's the most real place yeah. i've ever been you know yeah. we've been to over 100 countries you've been everywhere come on no we haven't been anywhere everywhere <laughs> But, uh, but you, I think yeah. my favorite chapter, you uh -huh. know, if somebody uh, wanted to just read one chapter, if they read the last chapter called um, Being Grateful, mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I think that's where I express um, gratitude for being in Africa, knowing a little bit more about mm -hmm. what goes on in Africa, mm -hmm. Africa's you know, I, I, I hope more people go. It's, it can be safe. There's nothing bad happened to us in 11 months going from top to bottom uh, until Johannesburg, yeah. you know, and that was, that was unfortunate, but big city, common, kind of common thing. Crime does happen, but. I um, got mugged folks. That's just. Uh, that's, yeah. He, he got, got mugged. He got roughed um, up mugged. <laughs> Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, but he, because he had spent 11 months transiting from the top to the bottom of Africa, he, he, you know, it was terrifying. It was horrible, yeah. but he said, you know, it wasn't a hate crime or he said, Tris, it was, it was a crime of opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people are desperate. They, mm -hmm. a lot of people mm -hmm. flood they come from all different countries, mm -hmm. uh, men looking for a job and mm -hmm. there's no work. And so yeah. there was just an opportunistic sure. um, robbery. Sure, you know? that's, that's pretty much how so, But they... he got right back on the horse. He said, let's go to Victoria Falls. <laughs> I love, I, so you're in Cape Town now. You're at the very tip of Africa and the, 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 the adventure is coming to a close. And I just loved hearing that you guys decided to take a ship home. Yeah. You know, you cruised. <gasps> best home. thing ever. Yeah. Oh, that was best very thing cool ever. to hear that, that that's how it ended. You had some time to decompress oh, and, and move. It, and it was talk about culture shock uh -huh. because, uh, you know, we, we flew to Rome to get the, the ship and we had our backpacks and we, like I said, we've been backpacking overland for a month um we were tidy but things were worn you know and we we took public transportation to get to the ship and we walked down into the port and we walked down and there's the ship and we're directed over to a kind of a shabby tent by by staff by ship staff you guys go over there and so we went over there and thought, this is weird. I mean, we hadn't been on a cruise ship really before that. And so we went in there and we're kind of looking at each other and we're, they've given us orders, put your packs over there. And, and we're still standing there. And then the guy slowly turned around. And he said, aren't you crew? <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, no, we're passengers. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God. And so they directed us over to the other tent, which was very nice with champagne and people, but I wouldn't let anyone take my backpack because the whole time in Africa, I never let my backpack out of my sight. Well, that's it. <laughs> and it was absolute culture shock. Yeah, you went from you went from the help to the to the helped. 
Yeah. So yeah. that that's another thing that amazed me, Teresa, is this whole idea is you had your you had all your worldly belongings that you you know that you needed to traverse Africa. And it was on basically in one on your back. So the backpack went with you everywhere pretty much. And you even had a tent. Did you have two tents? Yes. You had a no, tent, one tent. One tent and someone we had bought to carry the tent that. in Ethiopia. Uh-huh. Tiny tent, yeah. Um, so that's amazing to me too that you you put your life into, you know, what is it, maybe four feet by two feet or something. As, yeah. as far as walking Very around. Very small with it. backpacks. And so you had to, you know, you yeah. guys are uh, experts at this. I'm and, kind uh, of a pain in the ass. I travel really light. Uh-huh. It bothers my friends. <laughs> Because, you know, I have done a few girls, you know, women's trips and I've just come with a small carry on bag and I just I like to travel light. Ah, this it's is just... nothing. This is nothing. This three week thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. we took yeah. 11 months in Africa. So what? Yeah. <laughs> Layering is the key. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So um, I want to thank you again for the, the adventure that I got to share with you. This is a marvelous book. Yell it Thank out you. again, will you, Teresa? Yell it out again. Sorry? Yell it out. Oh. The title and the subtitle. Uh, Safari Gemma, The Journey of Love and Adventure from Casablanca to Cape Town. This is her first book. She has another book that's been published. What's the title of that, Teresa? This is uh, My Life with Indoto. And Indoto is the name of our 43-year-old Land Rover that we bought in Cape Town. And Doto means it's uh, Swahili for dream. So I'm pretty obvious, aren't I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, this is exploring Africa in a 40-year-old Land Rover. And, Just the uh, two of you. We, we put about uh, 50,000 kilometers um, traveling around. <laughs> More story. Uh, Africa. More oh. story. And, and then you are, you're uh, finishing up a book, another book about Africa. And then at the very end here, I want you to tell us what you think your next book after that's going to be, because I have a, I have a feeling. Just tell them what you're doing now with your husband in, in the United yeah, States. Yeah, so we are, and we're about to rejoin our little, show you a picture. Yes. Our little tugboat uh, named Green Eyes. It's a 26-foot tugboat. Um you know, and it's tiny. And we are doing something called the Great Loop, which is a 6,000 mile journey around the Eastern part of the United States and Canada. And it's on rivers, lakes, goes through the Great Lakes, rivers, canals, the intracoastal waterway. And um, we have done part of it. We've done Lake Michigan and we've done some rivers in Tennessee. The boat is now in Fairhope, Alabama. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a tornado watch yesterday for hours in Fairhope, Alabama. So we weren't sure we were going to have a boat this morning when we woke up, but it's fine. They sent us photos. She's Good. fine and ready to go. And we'll rejoin the boat uh, in May and mm -hmm. carry on. And the, uh, the journey takes over a year. Yeah. So we, we think we'll do this in parts so we've we yeah. did six months we've done six months of it uh, last year 
during the pandemic, I have to recommend being on a boat. It was, we, we were a little bit nervous when we first started, but it was a great way to social distance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and felt so lucky, you know, because we got to see new vistas every day. So it's so important for your brain. I think I, mm-hmm. mean, I, I noticed it when I got home and we were once again in lockdown here in California and I was like, what is wrong with me? I had to go for a drive. I had to see yeah. some different wide vistas. You really were lucky, blessed. You know, <sighs> you really were because, you know, not who could say that they could just, you know, be out and about and seeing new things every day, going down, you know, like you said, different vistas. You'd see all kinds of stuff, but everybody oh. else, like the vast majority of us are at home it was <laughs> and that's amazing we, that's a beautiful thing so you're going to have a book out of that too probably i think so probably we felt so stupid because we bought the boat in january uh-huh. flew home uh-huh. from texas where we bought the boat and here's the headlines here's a pandemic and we knew what that meant because we've been in africa during ebola outbreaks and this and that and so we thought oh no here we've yeah. just bought a yeah. boat and we can't go anywhere but we waited until in June and they relaxed some restrictions. We quickly went and joined the boat and hey, took uh, off. To our listeners and our people watching, uh, there are so much more in this book. We just touched on a, a few highlights, if you call them that. But there's uh, Teresa and her husband getting sick, like really, really sick for a couple of weeks. Uh, Teresa got sick before getting really, really sick with her husband. There are uh, places that they go um, and pitch their tent in a tree to see the animals. There's just so much cool stuff. Uh, you get to you get the gist of their relationship and how much. Uh, I think you both must be ex- extremely learn learning how to take it as it comes because. I just can't, I can't imagine being in these, in, in, let's just say the first guy's truck for days on end. And, and how, do, do, is, are you able to read? Or, so all that stuff, you know, it, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. I'm so grateful that you took the time to talk to me about this. And it's I really hope people get the you. book because I'm going to, in the show notes and all that, I'll put a link to amazon.com and, Thank you. Um, and I'll put a link to your blog and and you keep up with your blog about what you guys are doing now and with the boat and things like that. So uh, it's been just a pleasure. Oh, it's great to see you. Great to talk to you. Look at us. We were kids together. Look at this. All right. Hey, um, <laughs> hold on just for one minute. But for right now, I'm going to say goodbye to our guests and our listeners. And this is a Defined Engagement bookcast. And I was with Teresa Kane the author of Safari Gemma, a journey of love and adventure from Casablanca to Cape Town. Thanks, Teresa. See you down the road. Thanks. The Chief Culture Officer at 15.5, his name is Shane Metcalf. He'll be my next guest on the Defined Engagement Bookcast. Listen to more bookcasts at www.anchor.fm forward slash Doug dash fine. And if you'd like to visit my company's website, the Defined Performance Solutions website, go to www.dougjfine.com. 
As always, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you come back for more, and we'll see you down the road. Thanks again. Bye-bye.